Welcome. You are listening to the Park Avenue Synagogue Podcast, and this is Rabbi Elliot Cosgrove. While it's better to hear it live, this is the place to catch the latest sermon, conversation, and select program. If you like what you're hearing or want to learn more about our community, check out PASYN.org. And don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to get a notification for our next episode. Enjoy and see you in shul. Shabbat Shalom. I'm Stephen Wish and a very proud member of Park Avenue Synagogue and also the chairman of the American Jewish Committee. I'm delighted to be here tonight to introduce two of my favorite people, both of whom are leaders in the Jewish world and the world at large, and both are very smart, funny, charming, and as my wife would say, good-looking menches, <laughs> and from the University of Michigan. Uh, one happens to be my spiritual leader, whom you all know very well, Rabbi Cosgrove. The other is my chief advocacy partner and the CEO of the American Jewish Committee, Ted Deutsch. We as Jews need spiritual and advocacy at all times, and these roles overlap, as we know, but especially in the challenging times like we're experiencing today. And we are most fortunate to have Rabbi Cosgrove and Ted Deutsch in dialogue this evening. I want to talk to you very briefly about AJC. Rabbi Cosgrove often refers to the alphabet soup of Jewish philanthropic organizations, such as AJC, UJA, ADL, et cetera, et cetera. AJC occupies a unique and vitally important place in the world of Jewish philanthropy. We are the leading global advocacy organization for the Jewish people and the state of Israel. And we fight anti-Semitism and all hatred and promote democracy throughout the world. We have often been called the State Department for the Jewish people. We also are truly a centrist, nonpartisan organization, which is very rare, of course, in the world that we live in today. I want to highlight just three quick things, because Ted will talk more about it in the q and a, a in a moment. But number one, uh, global advocacy. Uh, AJC has 25 offices throughout the US, 14 around the world, and 38 international partnerships. No other Jewish organization has access to as many decision makers, important decision makers, and places of power and influence. Number two, university advocacy. We work with universities to combat anti-Semitism and promote dialogue and understanding and help develop and implement effective action plans. And number three, communications and education. We have a multimedia communications platform with over 3.7 million followers, the largest of any Jewish organization, educating people about the facts of Israel and much, much more. Let me just give some quick background about Ted. Rabbi Cosgrove uh, spoke at the BMA before, but I'll just, for those of you who are not there, I'll be very brief. Uh, Ted Deutsch joined AJC as our CEO a little over a year ago, although it feels like a lot more than a year ago. It's been quite a year. <laughs> um, he served for more than 12 years in Congress in the House of Representatives, representing Broward and Palm Beach counties in Florida. He chaired numerous committees and collaborated uh, closely with members on both sides of the aisle, which is also quite rare, as we know, in Congress today, to advance security interests of the US, Israel, and our allies. Very importantly, Ted always, he always spoke passionately 
on the House floor confronting colleagues who invoked anti-Semitic tropes or disparaged Israel. Prior to holding public office, Ted was a real estate attorney. Uh, he was born and raised in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, proudly attended Camp Ramah. And he has an amazing wife, Jill, who's sitting right here. And three extraordinary adult children, Gabby, Serena, and Cole. And with that, I'm going to turn it over to the two Menches. Uh, Ted, it's wonderful to welcome you here uh, this evening. Um, the sweetness of this moment is not just our shared leadership, but also um, our friendship and the fact that I've seen you here at Shul um, in a private capacity, and I hope you and the AJC family knows you. You are always welcome here, not just when its chief professional is speaking here this evening. So, Baruch Haba. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Uh, Ted, um, I'm going to start with a softball. Um, are you shocked? Meaning, you've been the head of AJC for a year. Uh, everyone, the narrative, October 7th, the deadliest day for the Jewish community since the Holocaust, uh, 240 people held hostage, uh, 1,400 brutally murdered, right? The, the, the narrative in Israel is, how the heck did this happen? How did we not see this coming? I'm going to let the foreign policy people deal with that question. Here in the States, right, is there any way to explain what is going on right now? Did you see this coming? Did American Jewry see this coming? On the House of Representatives, do you see this coming? Or are you just as surprised as anyone? First of all, thanks for the nice welcome. I, I will, I, I've told a number of, of the uh, guests who are here, uh, but I will say it in front of everyone, uh, thanks for making Jill and me feel so welcome. It's a very Hamish shul you have here. And, and, uh, and we're really grateful to join you. Um, and thanks to Stephen for your leadership of AJC and partnership and all these efforts and the kind introduction. Um, I, I also just, he's not part of your synagogue, but, um, but I always, it's, on, it's an honor to appear with other leaders. And I, so I acknowledge Stephen and Michael Tickner from AJC. Um, our good friend, David Heller, uh, a national leader in the Jewish community in his own right. And I wanted to take a, a moment just to acknowledge him. It's great to be with you, David, as well. And, uh, and, and we here at Park Avenue don't talk about members and non-members. You are a member or you are not yet a member. <laughs> uh, that's how we talk about residents of Florida, too. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> yes, or in my prior life, I would have said, you're either my constituent now or you will be one day. So... Um, the answer to your question is yes. How could how, I, I, you you would I think you would be lying to say that even amidst the rising anti-Semitism that that we saw uh, well before October seventh, I I started a year ago, and um, in my first week, Kanye went on his anti-Semitic tirade and. Suddenly, we're thrust into a national conversation about anti-Semitism. We, we knew that it was a challenge. We knew from AJC's own studies, that our own survey, uh, that Jewish students on campus often felt at risk. I knew as a member of Congress, as I watched the 
the still small but growing number of members on the far left who who moved, frankly, let's be honest, who went from being extremely critical of Israel to the moment where it became part and parcel of that ideology to hate Israel. Um, we watched that happen. Even with all of that, I don't think that we could have imagined the kinds of things that we've seen on campus with protesters after October 7th going out and supporting the terrorists that slaughtered 1,400 people. You, you saw in the materials that SJP put out uh, for their day of rage, day of action, whatever they called it after, after October 7th, their, their image on their brochure was a, a glider, like the kind that the terrorists use on that day. Um, as I... As I try to explain to people, we spent a long time trying to try, trying to figure out whether the people, the anti-Israel crowd who was singing from the river to the chanting from the river to the sea and intifada, intifada, we knew that it was dangerous, but people tried to make excuses and it's not really what it means. And then October 7th happened and the mask came off and everyone who has gone out to protest with with the understanding that they were supporting a terrorist organization in a terrorist attack um, has led all of us to conclude, one, yeah, it's terrible and we have to confront it. And two, uh, it, is a, it, is, it represents a virulent form of anti-Semitism that is dangerous, not just to Jewish students, but is uh, a danger to the campuses and communities in which they're out doing this, uh, uh, doing these protests. So, so for you, it sounds like there. I mean, there's a before and after, right? Before, maybe we were making nuanced differentiations. It's it, like that one can criticize Israel, but you're not. That doesn't make you an anti-Semite. One can, uh, you know. But but it seems now we're in a us against them moment. Or is that a simplification I, of, of look, that moment? A, AJC and Michael knows this and Stephen knows this and we we are it is true we are fiercely nonpartisan we also uh, made a point of talking about valuing nuance and the importance of of nuance conversation but there is there is no longer room for nuance when it comes to anyone who supports what Hamas did on that day i i'm not saying look our inner group work which and I, our, our intergroup work matters a lot, and I'm sure we'll talk about that, but we have to stop trying to convince ourselves of anything other than the fact that you are absolutely right. When it comes to what we're seeing in places around the country, what we saw in Boca Raton, Florida yesterday, absolutely it is us versus them. The good news is the us App still represents the vast majority of Americans, and we need to rally the support that we have and get more people to stand publicly with us against them, against those who stand on, not just against Israel, but stand on the side of, of evil, who, who don't recognize the importance of moral clarity at this moment, and instead view this as uh, an ongoing effort to delegitimize the one Jewish state. So, 
so let me go to your, your professional history, not real estate, but in the House of Representatives. Uh, and well, and then that. now, so from the inside of, of the halls of Congress to now being an advocate for uh, global Jewish peoplehood. And, and how, does, uh, how do we effectuate change in, in uh, House of Representatives at, um, whose progressive wing might be entirely inhospitable uh, to, to Zionist Jewish interests? Um, well, this is where, um, this is where the, the nonpartisan part of our work really matters. I, I, I spoke last week at, uh, on Shabbat lunch at, at Harvard Chabad, and student raised his hand and, um, and said, it's really, he said, it's really hard. And we've all heard this with people, with relatives, people we know, families that we know. He said, it, it's really hard for me. He said, I've spent so much time here in college working with all of these other groups on issues that really matter to them, that also really matter to me. And now, at a moment when I need them, they've turned their back on me. He said, I don't know what to do. And getting to your question, um, and I touched on this upstairs, there is, I think we, we will no longer take for granted the need that we have to stand up for ourselves. And, and that means um, being clear in the political world that we're going to stand with those who stand with us. And in Congress, that is, there is, look, there continues to be strong bipartisan support for Israel, but it means working really hard to, to harder than we ever have before. And I tried to do this. I mean, I, I didn't work in the Jewish world, but I, I, I proudly had the reputation among my colleagues for being the Jewish congressman. Like, if there were some Jewish issues, I will go talk to Deutsch. I'm sure he has some opinion about this. Um, and, uh, and it becomes more important th than ever to work with anyone, whether you're in Congress, Democrats and Republicans together, or outside of Congress, whatever groups, whatever, uh, whatever colleagues we have, whoever we know who will stand with us, including some people that might not have otherwise been comfortable. And, I, and, and I'll just finish. Look, I, I've talked a lot about the need, and AJC firmly believes that you've got to call out anti-Semitism where you see it, whether it's on the left or right, whether it's the people that you're used to criticizing or people in your own political party. It's now true in the affirmative sense either. It's going to mean sometimes standing together uh, in coalitions in the political world that might not have seemed so natural, but that are exceedingly important to show the world what it means to stand together in support of Israel, the Jewish community, and the, the need for, for strength at this moment. Well, look, Steve and I were schmoozing earlier. He, he was taking a meeting, where were you, Mississippi or something, and you made some comment, I don't think it was a private, you were like, these, these guys love Israel, right? Wherever, wherever you were in the country. And so, so it raises this question of, is this an emergence? And I think you're getting to this yeah. point, a new Jewish politic, right? We, we face this question with another organization in the alphabet soup of the Jewish world that said, it doesn't matter where you stand on reproductive rights, on election deniers, on, on all the uh, traditional 
Jewish issues, right, progressive Jewish issues, as long as you're voting the right way in Israel. And, and, and that was a change. Uh, but you're saying it's not just any one organization, it's a new posture that, are, are you recommending a new posture of Jewish advocacy, of uh, Jewish interest, and the rest is gravy? Um, I, I'm not, I'm not going to say the rest is gravy, but it needs to, but you need to lead with, with what impacts us most. And right now, everyone here understands our safety and security I mean, yes, it's about Israel, but our safety and security as Jews in America has to be our number one issue. And, and, I, and I think what it's going to require, I guess what I was getting at, because and I, I appreciate your referencing um, Stephen's comment, there's a, uh, there's a, a, a congressman, uh, Congressman Burchett, Tim Burchett, anyone ever run across him? He's, um, he's from Tennessee. He, he is, he, he's from rural, he's outside of Chattanooga, I think. Anyway, he is um, outside of Knoxville. He, when I tell you, I say this without hesitation. If you ever saw him on television, um, first of all, he's not going to be talking about Israel. He's going to be talking about something else. Um, what, the first thing, if you were thinking about tonight, and you saw him on TV, you would think, there is not a chance in the world that that guy, Ted Deutsch, when he was in Congress, that they would have ever had anything to do with one another, right? He's, his whole image is about- Ohio all, State. I'm sorry? Ohio State. <laughs> it, no. no, but by the way, let's acknowledge that for the rest of the crowd, for the rest of the world that didn't go to Michigan, we're kind of insufferable. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I acknowledge it. I don't apologize for it, but I do acknowledge it. Anyway. Um, All right, so this guy, so nothing to do with Ted the, Deutsch. Yeah, the point, is, the point is, there are a lot of people like that that I, I had relationships with in Congress because we came together on issues. He, he, he would tell me about the Jewish guy that his family grew up with and the impact it had. And he felt very close to me because just because of that, we're going to look, we, we're going to wind up being in more relationships like that, that we might not otherwise have thought of because they're, these are people who will be there for us at this moment that we need them. Even if others who might, um, even if, sorry, I know, sorry. Um, even if others who might otherwise take positions on other issues that we believe in um, aren't there for us. So that's it. That's going to take some getting used to, but I think it's really important. And I think it's ultimately going to be better, not just for, for the Jewish community, but I think it's better for America if we can show if, if the Jewish community and, and AJC and the work that we do can help model what it means when people can come together uh, instead of being at odds with one another, can find ways to work together. So let's expand the uh, view to uh, the world, shall we? Uh, because AJC is the American uh, Jewish Committee, but it has a reach uh, that is well beyond uh, America. It has offices uh, all around the world, New Delhi, Brussels, Jerusalem, beyond. Um, what are you hearing from your offices around the world? What impact is AJC having? Is it, is it twice as scary, less scary, or it depends on whether you're talking about Berlin or London or Johannesburg? Um, totally depends. Totally depends on where you are. We, uh, we were in, we were in uh, Berlin a few weeks ago after October 7th, 
And we met with the Chancellor of Germany and Chancellor Schultz said then he's, that it's easy to stand with Israel after this kind of horrific attack. He said, but in Germany, he said, we have, and, and people who know Germany, uh, this, this took me a long time to get used to when I was in Congress, but the Germans and the German government absolutely feel a special responsibility for Israel and for the Jewish people, just coming out of their history. And so he said, we're gonna be there for Israel six weeks from now, six months from now, we're gonna defend our Jewish community. That said, we had to cancel a trip. We had 50 people going to Berlin to mark the anniversary of our Berlin office, but a synagogue was firebombed. And there are, and there's growing anti-Semitism, um, particularly among the immigrant community in Germany. It's a big challenge, but the government is with us. Contrast that with the meeting I had, uh, the Zoom meeting I had with the community in South Africa. The, the, gov the government leaders in South Africa at a public event said, we've been in power for 30 years. How is it that Israel and the board of deputies of the Jewish community, speaking about the organized Jewish community, how is it that they have a presence here? It's, it's horrific. So what, what we do and what we do with the community and what our representative in South Africa does is, is to look for friends. And the same day that, that that government official said that, members of the opposition went into parliament wearing kippot. Right? Think about the power of, of that. So it just depends. In Europe, the challenges in France, we, as I was walking in, we were preparing a statement about Macron's comments that Israel should, that, that Israel should stop bombing women and children. Right? Macron said this. So the, the challenges there are, are, it's always on a knife's edge in France. And so it depends, it depends where you are. But coming out of this, the last global place I'd point to is the place that we don't really spend a lot of time talking about at this moment, and that's the Arab world. Um, AJC has an office in Abu Dhabi. Uh, we were actually in Abu Dhabi on October 6th celebrating the anniversary or celebrating the Abraham Accords and the promise, the bright promise of, of an incredible future. And then the next morning, everything turned upside down. But we're continuing to engage with those leaders. The Emiratis' initial statement was not great. The second statement was a little bit better. They're now taking some heat because of some of the things that they've said condemning Hamas. Um, we know that there is a meeting of the OIC, this is all the 57 Muslim countries are meeting this weekend. And we've been in touch with, with our, our friends in a number of the countries. And, and on the one hand, we expect the statement that will come out, because this is a body that includes Iran and Syria and others, we expect that the statement will be terrible. But we also know that the message we got back is they want Israel to crush Hamas. They understand that when that happens, that Israel is closer to normalizing relations with Saudi Arabia and with others. And when we were flying home from Abu Dhabi on October 8th, um, it, coincidentally, the Saudi ambassador to the United States who had been in the region 
trying to, to close the deal on normalization with Israel. That's how close it was. Um, she was on our flight and expressed real and genuine concern about what was happening. So it depends where, but, but in every place where AJC is, we're constantly in touch with the governments and the Jewish communities, both to keep the Jewish community safe and to advocate for Israel with those governments, especially now when it's so critically important. To, to the degree that you can read the tea leaves, do you think uh, the U.S.-Saudi deal is on hold, dead in the water, or uh, actively being discussed in rooms we're not in right now? Um, it, it, it continues to be discussed. I, it's, it is, there is still... There is still a commitment. I'm sorry, did I say U.S.-Saudi or Israel-Saudi, I meant? Uh, Israel-Saudi, and, and the U.S. plays the key role and just in terms of what the Saudis are looking for. Look, what the Saudis are looking for from the U.S. is a commitment to their security. The fact that the United States has two aircraft carrier groups and a nuclear submarine in the region shows not just the Iranians that they shouldn't, mess around because of the U.S.'s presence. And it doesn't just show Israel and the people of Israel the commitment that, that we have, that the U.S. has to Israel. It also sends a message to the Saudis that, um, that ultimately when this ends, it, is, it will be most important that, that that line is drawn between Iran and all of its terror proxies Hamas and Islamic Jihad and Hezbollah and the militias in Syria and the Houthis on one side and the U.S. with Israel and Saudi Arabia on the other. So um, I, the, the talks continue. They're absolutely not going anywhere now. And, and I suspect the Saudis will say more things that seem even more problematic as this goes on, but they recognize the importance of normalizing with Israel, and they recognize what it will mean for them economically, but especially uh, for their own defense. All right. I want to preface this question that saying it's way beyond my pay grade here. Qatar, um, that they're playing both hands, right? On the one hand, there's a military base of our country there. Um, there are many uh, companies, investment firms that take money uh, for uh, investments. On the other hand, you got the bad guys who are going in and out of the Four Seasons Hotel there. So how do you um, square the circle of that? And is there a role that either the U.S. government or the business community or otherwise could or should be playing here? Yeah, look, the the Qataris like to talk about how they, they talk to everybody. And, and they will... Tell, and they've done, they've, they've cooperated with Israel. They've cooperated with the United States in a whole host of areas. And we have a base there. And they're designated a major non-NATO ally. It's an important relationship. That said, the whole idea of Hamas in Qatar was so that the Qataris could keep an eye on them. Well, obviously, that was, that was worth zero. So... I, I think, again, I'm not in government anymore, but we certainly engage with the U.S. government and uh, world. I, I don't see how um, either, and they continue, by the way, to play a role in hostage negotiation. Like we're, I talked to, talk to the Qatari ambassador. Um, we engaged 
this is a chance, frankly, for them to try to redeem themselves at least a, a little bit. We'll see what they do. But I don't see how coming out of this, there is a chance that Hamas continues to be based at the Four Seasons in Doha. Um, and it will either be clear to the Qataris that they have to kick them out. Um, it should be clear to them that they've got to turn down the volume on Al Jazeera, which plays against, forget about Israel, plays against US interests all throughout the region. They're either going to do it on their own or the pressure on the business community, the reputational risk that they face as they, as they view themselves in a, an important economic role will be very much at risk. And so I, I think whether on their own or because of increased pressure led by a whole host of us on the outside, uh, there will be significant changes in their relationship with Hamas. Okay, thank you. Uh, I'm gonna shift gears here uh, to something I know a bit better about uh, and that I wanna publicly thank AJC for. Uh, on Thursday, uh, me and two other congregational rabbis convened a meeting of about 21 uh, heads of school of independent secular schools here in Manhattan. And the reason we were able to do that is because a professional on your team, Laura Shaw Frank, um, is really taking the lead on uh, engagement. We'll get to university in a second, but engagement uh, with resourcing schools, curriculum in schools, uh, how to advocate for the Jewish community, the allies against anti-Semitism. The story is different at Dalton than Collegiate than Brearley than Chapin, but AJC is on the ground and a tremendous resource to the schools that many of you send your children and grandchildren to. So I just want to publicly thank you and your team uh, for doing that, Ted. Um, so one of the questions that I've wondered about is uh, what matters and what doesn't, right? Uh, that the, uh, you know, there's a lot of wordsmithing going on, right? The, the parent from Brearley, so you don't know these places, but just go with me for it, uh, you know, says, well, Spence sent their letter out yesterday and it said, everyone's become like a Talmudic scholar on what letter says what, when it hit the ground, you know, how the sign-off was, was it a call for peace? Everyone's a rabbi right now looking at these letters. And, and part of me says, well, of course it matters because leadership is not just in academic settings, it's not just about the transmission of information, but it's about shaping souls and teaching kids how to think critically and, and disagreeing without disagreeable. And sometimes that's signaling from the top. On the other hand, I say, do we really care? Do I really care that the Riverdale letter came out a day before the Horace Mann letter? And you know, who, who cares? So, so what should we care about when we're monitoring, let's start with the secular, um, what's happening in schools, and maybe then we'll turn to, to universities. Uh, sure. Um, sure, and first of all, I appreciate the kind words, but I do know, I, I don't know, I know of most of these schools, I don't know enough to really engage, but what I do know is that without your leadership and the efforts that you and Rabbi Davidson, Rabbi Bookdahl put forward to actually bring together 
the heads of of these schools and and gave and and gave the families the opportunity to engage this way, it wouldn't have happened. So I want to pay the compliment right back to you. So thank you very much. Uh, I, um, not that I would ever criticize Talmudic uh, interpretation, but I I would tell you whether it's. We're now at the point that whether it's uh, private schools or universities, the time for messaging is over. Like, this is, we all focused on the messages after October 7th because, because it was a horrific moment, historically barbaric moment in the history of the Jewish people, and it impacted our community, and it impacted students, and we and we needed to know how the schools were going to react. And so I I understand the desire to to look, and we all we did this. And sometimes, depending upon what schools you're involved in, either your kids go there or you're a graduate of a university, and sometimes we and you all saw this, a statement would come out, and and if it was good, everybody would send it around, right? Everybody knows that Ben Sass is the president of the University of Florida, right? <laughs> Everyone, yeah. Um, um, and, and at other schools, it, the statement would come around and it wasn't great or it was terrible. And then somebody would engage and the second version would be better, but not enough. And then maybe on the third time, at this point, we, because we talked about this already, we know what's happening on college campuses. We know what's happening in K through 12. And it's true in our private schools. And it's true in our, our K through 12 public schools. We know that students are at risk there. Um, messaging isn't enough. So our AJC's guide for private school, private heads of school, just like our guide for university administrators, is meant to show them what they can do beyond messaging. They should do curriculum audits. They should look at, at how the, the, the courses about the region, if there are any, are being taught. They should look at the messages coming out. They should, they should ask what resources are available for Jewish students like there are for other students. There's, a, there's now there, there's a path forward that we should be using to not only to judge our, our schools, but to help guide our schools uh, in doing the right thing to protect Jewish students. Again, it's true K through 12. It's true for our universities. Um, one of our one of our our professionals met just this week uh, with the the president and leadership of GW. We're doing this now at schools around the country. There were 50 over 50 vice presidents, deans, others from the university uh, who had an opportunity to understand better what the anti-Semitic threats are that students are facing and what they can do about it and how they can respond. Um, and then if they don't follow through, then again, we don't have to guess what they're thinking. That will prove it. And and that should be where our, our focus is right now. Okay. Uh, I, I can talk to you forever. I'm going to ask a couple more questions, but we're going to take a few questions as well from the community. And I tend to call on young people first. So young people, you can think of your questions right now, but I still have like 18 more. Okay, so um, universities. Um, I was speaking to um, uh, a nephew of mine actually, and he was saying at his campus that uh, 
that there was a, a sit-in and then it was followed by a die-in. Uh, and, and this was all happening, I guess, in the main campus square. And, and, and we got into a discussion about what's fair game and what's not. Right. Uh, on a certain level, the whole point of going to university is to engage in ideas that are not your own. You can't affirm your own certainties without engaging the counter certainties of other. There is a place for free speech. There is a place for dialogue and even being uncomfortable. On the other hand, there's a red line. Uh, and I'm wondering, uh, would you dare try to, is it just you, you, you know it when you see it, or is there a, uh, a, a moment, obviously, leaving aside the horrors of people being physically threatened at Cornell or, you know, other campus, but I'm not, I'm not talking about physical violence here. Is there the can't just campus culture in general? Yeah. Um, a couple of things. One, of course, people, it's a, part of the college experience and being challenged by new ideas is is central to that and and yes academic freedom means a lot on a college campus and and freedom of speech is heightened it's more important on college campuses but the first thing and we we've been saying this well before October 7th but it's even more important now that that freedom extends to university presidents who set the tone for the campus. And they, they've made these decisions. We know this. It's not, it's not new. It's not as if university presidents have spent all of their time completely removed from, divorced from the challenges in society. They've spoken out routinely about major issues of the day. So likewise, this is a moment for them to set that tone but beyond that, since it's not, since messaging isn't enough, yes, they have to do that. Universities have, have codes of student conduct that help to, that are in place to, to ensure that the university functions well as a place where students have the ability to interact and exchange ideas and to feel safe and not threatened while they're doing it. And, and sometimes there are some specific, very specific things that, that put other students at risk. When uh, I was, I mentioned I was at Harvard last week. I think the same thing is true uh, probably at some of these die-ins that you're seeing. When, when students, student groups take action that prevent other university activities, classes, meals, whatever, from taking place, when they interfere with the university to function the way it's supposed to, more often than not, I don't, I'm not an expert on every code of student conduct, but we've seen enough of them. That's a violation and they have to be held accountable for it. That's not about free speech. That's about making sure that, that you're taking action to protect, to protect the rights of everyone to engage in that free speech that you say is so important. There are, and we're, we're now just, we're going through this at universities around the country, again, to make sure that those are those codes are being followed. At the same time, just this week, we um, announced a partnership with ADL and Hillel and Brandeis um, to, to combine forces on uh, potential legal challenges when, when Title VI uh, is violated, again, Universities have respond, legal responsibilities for their students as well. There are already, I think, more than 100 complaints that have come in. Um, th that's going to be an additional way to do this. They're the ones that, that we know. They're the ones that 
that seem to be violating the law and and the codes which we should all hold up to the universities and then there are the statutory violations that the lawyers will uh will work to ensure uh, are addressed it's it, it's the full range of issues but again it's not just a question of waiting and and seeing we've got to make sure first and foremost that every student on any campus in america um, is not at risk and right now for the jewish community on too many campuses they are and that's the university's responsibility first and foremost okay so if um I was a graduate of, say, Cornell or Columbia or Stanford, and I was in a position to be philanthropically impactful. Uh, then should I withdraw my funding from a university that has not met my expectations? Of course, we should redirect it. Whoa, 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 whoa wait, wait. I'm not saying that. I'm asking our guests a question. Or... Should I give it, obviously we should all give to AJC, or should I direct it to the Hillel on Stanford or Cornell or Columbia, or where, where should we put our philanthropic muscle as a Jewish community? I mean, obviously Park Avenue Synagogue is worthy of some of that largesse as well. Um, all right, it's a really good question, which as you can tell, people have very strong feelings about. I have, I have, um, I, I'll be honest. I've, I've, I've gone back and forth on this one. On the one hand, um, I, I think it's important to have a seat at the table. And if you walk away from the table, then, then well, hold on, because I'm gonna, I'm gonna <laughs> contradict myself in a minute. Uh, but if you, if you walk away from the table, you, you give up that. Ability and so 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 I had so I but I really did I I think it's important to not give up that spot. That said, I was in Germany as I mentioned. We met with German Jewish students, and 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 some are involved at universities in Germany. Some are involved with the European Union of Jewish Students, an organization that AJC has partnered with for a long time. Our Campus Global Board works closely with them. And they talked about what it's like now, Jew in Europe on a college campus where people routinely scream, kill the Jews, gas the Jews at them. In, in Germany in 2023, people are screaming, gas the Jews at college kids. And as a lot of you probably know, European universities are all public. So they've written 300 letters to universities across Germany and Austria and France. And as of the moment we met with them, they had heard back from, I think, six. And none of the answers were satisfactory. And so our, our, I raised it with the chancellor. We're going to raise it with government officials throughout Europe. But it made me realize that the difference between their situation and the situation here is that we actually do have important trustees, donors, et cetera, who can use their position to get the attention of the universities that otherwise might not pay attention to us. And so I, I, think, 
I, I, I think we have to acknowledge that we have that ability on a lot of campuses. We just have to figure out the right way to use it. And if it means that the university will then engage in meaningful ways to address anti-Semitism and protect Jewish students, then I think that's absolutely a, a, a fruitful approach. Um, we just need to look for every way we can to, to make sure that we get the attention of Okay. Uh, last question for me, unless um, by some miracle no one's hand shoots up in three minutes. Uh, uh, I've worked closely with AJC on Black Jewish relations, Latino Jewish relations, interfaith relations. Uh, Relations. It was through the age. One of my fondest memories was going uh, to to Rome for the then Archbishop's bar mitzvah, where he became a cardinal. We created a wonderful relation. Right. That that sort of what I sort of grew up with rabbinically as a historic work of the AJC bridge building. We had a little uh, bit of this on the bima uh, about tribalism. Not so. What's the play right now? Uh, for in terms of bridge building, or or do we just sort of put that department on ice and fund the anti-Semitism department more. Uh, there are a lot of people who are still shaking their head trying to figure out the Archbishop's bar mitzvah, by the way. Oh, but well, when, when, when Dolan was just yeah. Archbishop Dolan and then he went to Rome and he became Cardinal Dolan, which I call his bar mitzvah, um, I went with the AJC. It was a lot of fun and it was a great simcha. Mazel tov, mazel tov to, to the Archbishop. Um, this one's really, this, this one's not, this, this one's not great. It's not a good conversation. It's a tough conversation to have now. I don't, th there have been really positive, some, some really positive moments um, in our intergroup work since October 7th. Some Latino groups um, some Catholic leaders, um, we can point to others, but often the statements of support, if they came, were private. And I look, our Muslim Jewish Advisory Council does really important work. Uh, there was a meeting scheduled in Washington that was scheduled, had been scheduled for a long time, went forward even after October 7th. It was it was not a public event, but it was still important to be together. I don't think you give up, but you have to ask, I think, we, I think we have to be honest about this. If the work that we do, in if the intergroup work that we do and the interfaith work, interreligious work that we do is meant to ensure that those groups understand us and can be there for us, when Israel is at risk and when anti-Semitism rises, then at a moment when both of those are exposed in ways that none of us can remember in recent history and, and we don't see that support, then it doesn't, I don't believe that we walk away, but it absolutely makes us think about how we engage and the kinds of conversations that need to take place next. And I'm happy to say they continue. And we, including this weekend, our Board of Governors is meeting in New York, and we're going to engage with, with some prominent, uh, prominent leaders in the Black community. And, and I, I think that some of these conversations, because AJC has worked so hard in, 
with the Latino community, the Asian American community, the black community, the Muslim community, the Catholic community for years, we can have these conversations. Some of them will not be easy. We can't afford to just cast them aside, but we also have to be clear-eyed in the way we approach them, what we're trying to achieve, and we, and more than anything else, have to be completely candid um, when our reaction to a lack of a, of support is anything other than disappointment. Okay, thank you, uh, Daniel. Did I see your hand up there? Was that a hand all the way there? I I like I like high school kids more. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, and, and let me remind you, I can say this to you because I bar mitzvahed you, a short statement with a question mark at the end of it, please, to everyone. Model for everyone else. So, Ted, you mentioned earlier about that now more than ever we might have to make unlikely alliances or amplify voices that we wouldn't otherwise amplify because they're support of Israel. And I'm left wondering, um, what about, like, when it comes to the other two main tenets of AJC, supporting democracy around the globe and combating anti-Semitism, what is your stance, what is AJC's stance when, ampli when some of these voices that may be very pro-Israel may contradict those other two tenets, for, whether that's very people on the far right in America or like a Viktor Orban, for example, who's very clearly pro-Israel but may support anti-democratic and anti-Semitic things? Where does AJC... How do they navigate that? Where do they place their weight? Oh my God, um, do you want moment? an internship at AJC? <laughs> internship, do you want to be the CEO of AJC? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, um, look, that is, that is, and I, I say this not only because you bar mitzvahed him and because we have a relationship. That was a, that was a brilliant question because this is, this is exactly what we grapple with. We do not, back away. We, and I, it's really important. We don't back away in any way from our broader mission. And in fact, if our, our, if HAC's mission is to enhance the well-being of the Jewish community, to ensure the safety of the Jewish community, that, that means not only, and Israel, it means not only standing with people who support Israel, it means calling out, calling out the behavior of those whose actions will potentially foster an environment in which Jews are at risk. And, and just as I was talking about before, it's not, it's not all or, or nothing. And so there are people who will be strongly pro-Israel and, and support current efforts to fight anti-Semitism that we're going to work with. If, uh, if those relationships are strong, then then should they, in, should they choose to also espouse positions that start to put a strain on democracy in our country or in other countries around the world that could allow the extreme voices on the other side to rise? We have to use those same relationships to make sure that they understand how much we oppose that. We are not we're, I, we're not taking the position that there is one thing that matters at the expense of everything else. Um, we do believe that if we, if we work hard enough at fostering the relationships, then just as I said before, we can tell our partners in the inner, inner group space, uh, we can express our frustration if they've not been there for us because those relationships have been built, just as we can, if we need to, 
express our displeasure with with figures who may take positions that that while they support our efforts to support Israel, they may take positions that we think can otherwise put the Jewish community at risk. It's got to be both. Thank you. Was there a, a Kometz hand there? Did I see a Kometz hand? No? If, if not, that's okay. You're just in high school. No? You're good? Okay, so yes. Night. Okay, I've been sort no, of... Stand up, please. Oh. Okay. Um, I don't know if this is totally on topic to like what the whole conversation has been, but um, what is your response or argument to people who... So we just saw this protest, this pro-Palestinian protest, where people were arguing... Um, how many of our children have you killed today? What is your response to that when you're talking to somebody who doesn't care what Israel's motivations are or doesn't care about Hamas, Hamas's involvement? All they care about is that a child died and it was Israel's fault. Like, what do you say to that? Good question. Um, These kids have yeah, great it's questions. The most, right, the, the, it's absolutely the most on-topic question. Um, First of all, I I think you have to you you start by acknowledging the tragedy of uh, of civilian deaths. There, I don't think it's not it's not helpful. This is true. Not this is true in any any conversation you have. It's it's not helpful to to say well those civilians who died. They don't matter because we're responding to what Hamas did. Of course, it's tragic. But then you also have to ask them how they feel about Hamas blocking people from leaving Gaza after Israel says, warns people that they're going to take action in response to October 7th. Um, in the northern part of Gaza, and they, people should leave to a safe area in southern Gaza, and Hamas will not let them go. Or you can ask them if they if they believe in and can and care about a just outcome, however they define it, for Palestinians, whether it's a two-state solution, whether it's simply concern for the lives of Palestinians. They, they have to admit that the single greatest impediment to any sort of long-lasting just outcome is the Hamas terrorists who have said publicly, explicitly, and repeatedly that they don't care about the deaths of their own people, that they know that that ultimately helps them curry favor in international opinion. So it's not easy. The conversations aren't easy. And for those whose, whose blinders say, it doesn't I don't want to have a conversation. I just know that I've been taught to hate Israel. You're not going to convince them. But when you start to, when you acknowledge the pain of a, a, a child dying and you acknowledge and you force them to come to terms with the the children who were burned to death and decapitated and all the horrific things that happened on October 7th. And then you point out that Hamas's actions make it only more likely that more civilians will die. 
you might not get the person you're arguing with, but the people around them are going to listen. And the people who don't know as much are going to start to to think and ask questions. And then, and then you're on your way. You're not going to educate everyone, but if you get them to acknowledge that you actually care about humanity, you, you worry about what happens to people. And the person leading that protest worries only about destroying Israel. You're going to be headed down the right path. What an amazing thing to have you, Ted, as the leader of the AJC Global Jewish Advocacy. Please join me in thanking Ted. Thank you for listening to the Park Avenue Synagogue podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and want to learn more about our community, check out PASYN.org. See you in shul. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.